Hello. Oh. Oh, hi, uh, Lisa. Oh, yes. Okay. Sorry. I've never used this before. And I just saw your uh, text on my iPhone, but not on my iPad, because I guess you don't have an eye something. So I had to send it to myself. Sorry for the delay. No, no problem. I, I got an Android myself. Um, okay. The only issue is um, sometimes, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes when I publish it, sometimes there's a delay before the speaking. So okay. I'll have to listen to it afterwards and um, uh, I'll figure out what I'm going to do. Okay. How, how are you today? Hear how are you? Very loud. Do you hear me okay? Um, yeah. Why? My audio is not good? Oh, I just, uh, you're just kind of low. So I don't. Oh, I, I am really? Yeah, but I'm using oh. an iPad and I've never used Anchor before. So, um, all right. It's a new concept to you. Yeah. Okay, as long as it works. I, we, 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 we could have done it through Facebook, too, if you wanted to use your computer, you know. Um, no, no, no. I would be using my iPad. I've just never used Anchor. But um, I, I can hear you okay. If you can hear me okay, that's important. Oh, you're coming in at ground control to Major Tom. You're coming in loud and clear. Okay, great. Maybe I just need a <laughs> hearing test. <laughs> um, well, you know, um, it I happens, did. you know. We're all so Lisa, how do I pronounce your last name? That is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. Gadul dig. Gadul dig. I, I thought so. I thought it was Gadul dig. Gadul yeah. I thought yeah, it was nobody gets it right unless they speak German or Yiddish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you are I mean you're a person of of, of many hats. You're a, a comedian, a public relations person. And uh, you're an, you're an advocate, and mm -hmm. um, I also learned this morning that you you speak fluent Spanish. I do. I lived in wow. Mexico for a couple of years in my twenties, and I studied Spanish throughout junior high and high school and college. Um, and as far as being an advocate, something I'm doing while I've been in Florida the last year and a half plus is I've been getting vaccine appointments originally just for people in Florida, and then fielding requests for people from all over Latin America who have not been able to get the vaccine in their country and have been flying to Miami or Orlando to do so. So I've been running a Facebook page in Spanish and moderating one uh, in English and Spanish. So yeah, I've been a little busy during the pandemic unusually. It, it sounds that way, yeah. Now, I, I, do, you, do you plan to stay in Florida permanently? No, my mom is 90 and I came to visit her for two weeks in March of 2020, right before the pandemic. And then everything started changing and I was staying for another week, a month, and that turned into 17 months. And now I've been commuting back and forth between where I live in San Francisco and where I seem to be living part time in Florida. So um it's just something that happened since the pandemic and just so my mom, uh, you know, has some companionship and, um, you know, since we can work from anywhere, I figured I can spend more time with my mom here. So um, I'm commuting. Oh, okay. How often do you go back to Cali? Well, it's been a month back and forth. So first I was here March, 2020 till August, 2021. I spent August in San Francisco, back here for September, back in California, October. And then I came back to Florida sometime middle of November and I'll be here through January. 
Oh, okay. All right. So you, I guess you, you have a lot of frequent flyer miles. Um, I do, but United <laughs> stopped flying nonstop direct during the pandemic. And then they've recently picked up a red eye flight and I'm too old for red eyes. So JetBlue <laughs> Jet has these like $125 one-way tickets. So I'm racking up miles there, but I've got, you know, 150,000 miles on United waiting to be used. So wow. yeah, I'm a commuter. <laughs> well, Fly you know, this time you have is precious and I see you're bonding together and you guys have the online comedy thing going on together. It's amazing. It's definitely a silver lining of the pandemic to be able to spend quality time with my mom. I left home at 17. You know, I came back 40 something years later and we grew up in New York. So coming back wasn't really coming back to my home, but coming to her home. And I didn't realize how funny she was. And right before I was going to start producing my monthly lockdown show, lockdown comedy last July, my mom was just being very funny. And I said to her one day, do you want to be a special guest on the show? I thought it would be a one-time thing. And she was really funny and she got fan mail emails through uh, my email. And I thought, all right, let's do this as a monthly thing. So she's been performing on my show monthly and doing Kung Pao Kosher comedy last year. She was uh, not going to be on the bill because I said to her, Mom, this is the big leagues. And then people started asking why she wasn't performing. So I put her on the bill. And now she's one of the scheduled comics. And she's on the flyer and everything. I saw there's a total of four comics, including you, your mom. Uh, I think you have uh, Jessica Kirsten. Mm -hmm. And Ophira Eisenberg. Both brilliantly funny comedians out of New York. And yeah, I'm not fire, but I, I, I adore Jess, Jessica Kirsten. I, I really think she's funny as hell. And um, <laughs> she is yeah, very, very funny. Person. I've never very had nice her name. on my show before. I've known of her. So I'm really excited to have her perform. She's, she's but, brilliant. And Ophira Eisenberg performed once before, and she is also very funny. And um, she's originally from Canada, but she has been living in New York for a number of years. Oh, okay. She's originally from Canada. Yeah, she was the host of NPR's Ask Me Another for the last almost 10 years. So that's one of her claims to fame. I think I saw that uh, in my research. I saw something about that. Uh, that uh, Did you know, I, I found out today that um, Rich Little is originally from Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea myself. I uh, For some reason, I saw it. he's still around. The guy's, guy's still doing imitations. Yeah, I had seen him maybe about 10 years ago. There was an event in San Francisco and uh, Carol Channing was there and Rich Little and he's, you know, he's from my childhood. We're probably about the same age or who knows, but uh, we, I grew up with him. And I didn't know he was. Yeah, you're, I'm, I'm, you're about five years old, four or five years older than me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, I remember him in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he was performing in, in Vegas a few months ago. And where yeah. are you based? You're in New York? I'm originally from New York. I, I recently transplanted to Virginia. Uh-huh. After uh, uh, living... New York accent. Where are you from originally in New York? Uh, Long, I Long Island. Me too, and I don't readily admit it. So here we are, two Long Islanders. All right, I'm from Plainview. Oh, okay. Uh, Plainview. Yeah. <laughs> I'm where did from, you grow Sorry, I said. Oh, we're neighbors. You grew up right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, let's see. Jeff Applebaum is a 
comedian originally from Syosset. He lives in California. I know Jeff. But there's a there's a lot of talent that came out of the Plainview Syosset area. It must be the uh, the water. Oh, yeah, like Judd Apatow or Rob Maschio. Uh-huh. Uh, Chuck Lorre. Yes, yes. Um, I think his original last name is something like Goldstein. I don't think it's Goldstein, but it's not Lorre. Yeah, I don't yeah. use my original last name. I, I I won't tell you on the air what it is, but it's it's close to my you know my I'm stage sure it's name. Something but something like Kantrowitz. Uh, I I'll tell you off the air. I I I'm kind of guarded about you know I my totally real identity. Understand. I know people have asked me over time, oh, is Geduldig a stage name? I'm like, yeah, right. I came up with the most complicated name. I just threw a bunch of consonants together. So anybody who was going to introduce me would stumble over their words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you like, can't make up a name like that, you know? No, you can't. And that's how I'd always spend the first few minutes before getting on stage. Okay, who has to introduce me? Let me give you the cue cards. This is how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was, it had that, the Gadul. Yeah, it had that, um little yiddish sound to it yeah yeah it means patient in yiddish german and dutch like ich bin geduldig but i think we probably got it because nobody in the family is patient so my grandfather probably came through ellis island impatiently and they gave him that name as a joke oh yeah they really bitched butchered up a lot of names over there mm. in yeah. uh, in ellis island i wish they would have butchered mine I mean, I could have changed it, but it's actually my joke to the world. And it's also really easy if I go to a doctor's office or somewhere and they say Lisa and then they hesitate. I know it's me. Yeah. At this <laughs> point, you want to change it. You had it, you know, most of your life, you know. Yeah. Now I'm not going to change it. It's a pain uh, and everyone has to deal with it. No, it's OK. It's 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 who you are. It makes you unique. Mm-hmm. And um, I also like what you said that you well, you come from a. What did you say? You come from a, a, a Jewish a, family, a, a lawyer, a doctor? Jewish, typical Jewish family, a doctor, a lawyer, and a lesbian comic. <laughs> I, I, I can relate. I did my brothers that they're not lesbian comics. I, I can relate to that. Um, you know, coming from a Jewish family, uh, you know, I have a brother who's a doctor, a sister who's a speech therapist. I'm the only one who married a shiksa. Shiksa mm-hmm. got divorced and was a single father. Right. Yeah, I, I found that all of my friends are the black sheep of their family you know it's, it, it said I, lawyer on my birth certificate but i didn't go that route are, are you I the oldest it. child i'm the youngest you, there's three of the us. Young. wow you Two definitely brothers. could have been a lawyer you definitely could have been with your, your articulation you know and your advocacy you definitely could yeah but you know why i decided not to be a lawyer i ran into someone at the transfer platform at the BART, which is the Bay Area train station. And he was on the way to travel around the world and take a year off from being a lawyer. And I was in my early 20s at the time and was doing some work at a legal rights clinic. And I said, why are you taking time off? He said, I'm tired of always being in a confrontational situation. I went, all right, that's it. I'm not being a lawyer. I don't want to spend my life fighting. Or to do it for my profession. Yeah, people laugh. I'd rather use the skills I learned in my eighth grade Spanish class when I was bored and started making comments under my breath to make the other kids laugh. That was my training ground. So that the seeds had germinated back then in middle school. So I was really uh, a bad kid in class when I was bored. You know, if it was a 
science class or math, something that I had to really pay attention for, but it was something like Spanish that came to me readily. I got the answer or I understood the lesson. And then I was supposed to sit there and wait for the teacher to explain it to the kids who hadn't. And I was just bored and other kids would sit there and just behave. But I had a comic mind that started activating and thoughts would come to mind and I would say them out loud just so the other students can hear but not the teacher and uh, that earned me a three in conduct 98 in grade and three in conduct <laughs> needs improvement <laughs> I think we need more clowns in school today with all the violence going on in the schools oh absolutely I can't believe what's going on now I was explaining to my mom the other day we, that we had these um security guards who we thought were 90 they were probably 40 and i don't know something was going on at school they just wanted to keep us out of the halls but there were no guns i mean i just there's the fact that guns are so readily available and there's so much anger and bullying and you know there was bullying at the time but nothing violent so yeah and now with the social media it exacerbates it Oh, yeah. I mean, kids like telling other kids through social media that they should commit suicide. It's just incredible. You know, or their parents buying their kid, 15-year-old troubled kid, a gun for Christmas. You know, that recent one. What the hell is that about? Yeah, those two. They're a couple of drunks, those two. They're, they're oh, off the rails. God, I love their mug shots. They're, they're people you really want to spend a Friday evening with. <laughs> yeah, yeah that seems to be... Go okay. ahead. I'm sorry. Go on. No, it seems like a, like a Midwest type of thing. Usually on the um, West or East Coast, usually you don't have these mass shootings, thank God. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Maybe parents on the coast don't buy their kids' guns. No, but Sandy Hook, that was this coast. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, that was another yeah. way. The mother had bought Adam Lanza his gun, and then he yeah. killed his mother. Right, and killed her. I know. Hello? I know. Yeah, I saw this yes, yeah. meme on Facebook the other day. Buy your kid an instrument for Christmas, not a gun. It seems so basic. Exactly. Or, or, or give him a joint at least. You know, lighten up, man. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Get high right? with you, kid. Don't give him a gun. I know. Uh, Even though some people, some people get psychotic when they smoke weed. Mm-hmm. Depending on you know on yeah, their psyche. Give him, a, give him a joint and a bag of Doritos. Very simple. That's what we did back in our day, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I spent junior high. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Abby Shapiro, whose mom worked and she had a pool. So we would cut school, smoke pot, eat Doritos at her house. It seemed like my mom only asked me how school was the days I didn't go. How was school today? Guilt. It's like she was fishing. <laughs> and you and graduated. My 19- Jackie had a mother's handwriting, so she would write us all notes, absent notes. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm so you glad that I was a kid then instead of now when your parents can get emailed from the school and all that stuff. Or I have some friends who have some set up on their iPhone. They know where their kids are. They're tracking them. Can you imagine if all this existed when we were kids? Oh, yeah. We would get lost because back in the remember, it was all trails and woods when we grew up. Mm-hmm. This You get lost in your bicycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Going up to the woods. We used to go to Cold Spring Harbor. Did you ever go there? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the laboratory and the fish hatchery and beefaloes. Yeah, we used to cut school, get stoned, and hang out at the harbor and play Frisbee. 
That was... Oh, it's that's it's nice. That little park over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to work over there at the, at the laboratory in the summers with this, you know driving the scientists back and forth to the hotels. Oh wow. So oh. yeah, memories, right? Yeah, we 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 grew up in the same world. Pretty much. Well, you you graduated nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, I was supposed to graduate in 1980, and I was like, uh, let me get out of here. So I doubled up on my classes in 11th and 12th grade, and then the gym teacher liked me. So instead of having me go to gym every day, he had me answer his phone and write cut slips for students. <laughs> but then the friends of mine, their cut slips didn't go in the mail. I just gave them to them in the hallway. I don't know if I can get busted about this 40 years ago, but that's what I did. <laughs> so I thought I don't want them to come home and get in trouble. Wow, so you you were you were a good soul. Yeah. Wow. Um, around that time, there was a movie uh, called Over the Edge. It came out in 1979. Remember that? I don't remember it. What was it? Oh, uh, about a bunch of kids who had like this rich neighborhood, and they rebel against uh, their parents, and they they, they take take over the school and and cheap trick uh made the soundtrack to the movie cheap trick that was definitely my high school soundtrack i figure yeah you're from that time yeah and uh, all right was that who was daddy's all right yes you surrender and i want you to want me i want you to want me you know it's funny (laughs) because i love that music then if it was something that was coming out now i wouldn't listen to it but all of that stuff like cheap trick and talking heads and that whole soundtrack talking heads that's not some cheap trick after we talk oh absolutely something 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 (laughs) did did, i i know we we just know the tune right Uh uh-huh yeah um good music. oh definitely good times you know 1979 uh I, I probably think of a whole bunch of other stuff if i you know wanted to but yeah no, another era another time you know age of mm-hmm. it almost you know yeah i fled long island as soon as i could it just what, what didn't did really I, feel like my environment you know i, I felt like i didn't fit in and then, and then I got to college and I met all these cool kids from Long Island. I was like, where were you? But they also, they all didn't fit in. Like I wasn't materialistic and, you know, I had some concerns about the world at the time, you know, the, what, Three Mile Island was blowing over or there was an anti-nuke concert. Maybe I just went to the concert because of the concert as opposed to the political concerns. But I, I grew up um, kind of a, not a red diaper baby, but pink we went to um, March on Washington, March Against the War in Vietnam when I was uh, nine years old in 1971. So we were a little bit uh, progressive in my family. Oh, yeah, you got me thinking. Remember the marches um, for Anatoly Sharansky, Free the Soviets? Oh, yeah. That just activated a section of my brain that hasn't been activated in four decades. I know, I know, um, <laughs> you, because you're taking me back there, you know. Now, um, when when did you realize that um, that you were gay? Um, let's see, I had crushes on my brother's girlfriends when I was like nine and ten years old, but I didn't know what it all meant until I was, uh, or I didn't really come out to myself and the world till I was 21. But there were definitely uh, traces of 
crushes that I just didn't understand. I think it's a lot easier for kids now and they, you know, have gay straight organizations in their schools and have uh, gay characters on TV and in the movies. And at the time, I just didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that I had a feeling for this girl that I would have for a guy, but I was a little slow to put it together. So it wasn't until I was 21. And where did you go to college? Um, I don't admit this like I don't admit growing up on Long Island, but I went to Cornell for two years and then I felt very overwhelmed. Um, it was just very high pressure. Then I took some time off, worked in a restaurant, then ended up working on this farm in Vermont. It was a Quaker run summer camp called Farm and Wilderness and they took on wayward college dropouts. And then I ended up going to California on a $99 fare for three weeks turn 39 years and went back to school at a small unknown now defunct college called World College West where there were 80 students and I graduated in a class of 10 and worked in internships uh, two days a week in nonprofits and studied in Mexico and the idea behind the school was that everybody came out of the school speaking another language having lived in another culture and worked jobs in nonprofits. So I started with very traditional Cornell with 200 people in a class, high pressure, 18,000 people at the school, and then, or 13,000, I don't know, and then ended up at World College West in a class of 10, which was sort of like summer camp with a college credit. <laughs> it sounds like a, now Cornell has um, a state division and a private division. Yes. I originally applied to the private school, the arts and sciences, and then got a letter that summer saying how much it was. And, you know, by 2021 standards, it's pennies. But at the time, it was so much more than the state school. So I ended up just transferring my application to the state school and basically just took classes in arts and sciences anyway and was only there for two years. But it, it, was, a, yeah, well, it was a good uh it was a good place to grow up. You know, I was spent the ages of 19 to 21 there and, you know, got into the food co-op and some political organizations and met a bunch of progressive minded people who became friends for life. Uh, and I'm sure some of the classes were good, too, but it was just really high pressure. And um, it was just hard for me to be in school there. Yeah, and I, I found the same thing you know, uh, growing up you know, in the same area as you, you know, I found everybody in high school was extremely competitive and, and it kind of turned me off. Mm -hmm. So I can, I, I, I understand what you mean about that, you know, and I'm, I'm that's smart. You got out of that uh, area, you know, new arena. Yeah, it was just too high pressured for me. And then going to World College West where there were 10 people in a class and you called your teacher by the first name and worked internships and studied out of the country. There were programs in Mexico, China, and Nepal, and I went to Mexico, and it was just more familiar. You know, when I was at Cornell, I tried to get college credit for volunteering at this alternative high school, and I just couldn't. And then conversely, I ended up at this small alternative college where internships were a mandatory part of the program. So that just felt like that spoke to me more than large traditional institution. Yeah. Now, did you continue on for a master's degree? Or you went right to work after that? Um, I 
did a summer tour to masters in Spanish. It was just because I got to go back to Mexico and wanted to go to Peru and Spain, but I only did one summer and then realized I didn't really want to teach Spanish. I just wanted to be in Mexico. So I didn't continue that. And then um, before I started doing comedy, which was in 1989, um, I just flitted around and did some different jobs and different nonprofit organizations and taught some ESL and um, so I never really um, found my career until I started doing stand-up and starting stand-up was an accident I had just been the best woman at a friend's wedding and gave a tongue-in-cheek speech and everybody wanted to know where I performed and I didn't and then some weeks later I was at this comedy club which I didn't frequent at the time but just happened to be there and there was a sign on the bulletin board for stand-up wannabes and this guy was teaching this forum at his apartment up the road from the comedy club and he had a makeshift stage and invited 10 friends to be an audience and had a mic and uh, did that a few times and then we went back to the club to perform before the scheduled comics and that felt good and the comedy club club owner told me if I wanted to do five minutes before the scheduled comics sometime to call him. And a few months later, I got up the nerve to call him and started performing there. And then um, that was 1989. And then this gay club, Josie's Juice Joint and Cabaret opened a year or two later. I started performing there. And then um, somebody I met, a comedian, told me about this women's comedy night in South Hadley, Massachusetts in October 1993. And I was going to be back east. So I went and performed at that. And I got there and found out it was a Chinese restaurant, not a comedy club. And then from there, the idea of Jewish comedy on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant came about. And then I've been producing Kung Pao Kosher Comedy since that December 1993. Again, thinking something was going to be a one-time th thing. And next year is the 30th year. Yeah, I know they were wrapped around the block. 200 people lined up to get in there. Yeah, we had 400 people. And then I didn't even know for weeks until some friends of mine told me that they had turned away about 200 people who were lined up around the block. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I had written a press release and asked comedian friends to perform, but I didn't hire anybody. You know, I didn't bring in a sound system. I didn't have any volunteers. So friends just stood up and helped me because I looked overwhelmed and it had made Critics, Critics Choice and all of the local papers. And uh, then I thought, okay, we've got something, we'll do it again. And then it just kept growing. The first year, one show sold out on the 24th of December. The second year I had a show on the 24th and 25th. They both sold out. The next year I had two shows each day. They sold out. I added another day. Henny Youngman performed, got a New York Times article. It just really took off from the first year. So um, it's become an institution in San Francisco and uh, there have been some copycat events around the country. People can use the idea, but not the name because I have that trademarked. And now it's almost 30 years and I've had, I had Henny Youngman, Shelley Berman, David Brenner, Elaine Boozler, Mark Marin, Carol Liefer, Judy Gold, Kathy Ladman, Wendy Liebman, you know, just a whole who's who of Jewish comedians. And, um, and it's a three, it's a three day event. And it was Excuse a three me? day event, three, a three day yeah, event, th three days, two shows a day until the pandemic. Dun, dun. So <laughs> now, last year and this year, one show a day 
uh, 24th, 25th, and 26th online on Zoom and YouTube Live. And then next year for the big 30th anniversary, definitely doing it in person, but with the online component, because now we have uh, an audience around the country and smatterings in other countries. So um, it would be silly to cut that off. Of course. Of course. I see you had um, a, a young woman. Well, see, she was an elder woman. She, she passed away. Adrian Tolsh. Yes, Adrian Tolsh. It was so lovely. She was supposed to perform one year. I had just had the postcards and posters printed. And then I heard from her saying that she had cancer and needed to bow out. And we made a pact that she would perform the next year. And she did. And uh, she was wonderful. And uh, she's since passed away. Did you know her? No, I know about her through, uh, through you, through your, oh, uh, okay. your, your, your video. She, she was in Florida, the condo circuit. Oh, my God, that was such a funny clip. Yeah, listeners then, can just look up Adrian Tolsh on YouTube and find this very, very funny clip. Yeah, the performers we've had who have since passed away are Henny Youngman, who actually died two months after the show. He flew from New York to San Francisco, did all these interviews, did the show, got a cold and got pneumonia and passed away two months later. But um, I met his daughter and his two young grandchildren at the time they came up from LA and they got to see grandpa perform on stage for the first time and see him for the last time in their lives dignified in a tuxedo performing as opposed to in the hospital so even though people have accused me of killing Henny Youngman for years the family exonerated me <laughs> that was an experience going first and meeting him I had hired him over the phone I had known from an interview on Terry Gross that he was listed in the Manhattan phone directory. So I called at the time, you know, this is 1997. Yes, what city? Manhattan listing. Henny Youngman, hold for the number. And then I call him and talk to him and he's firing one-liners at me over the phone. It was just so surreal. And then I spoke with his manager and told him the details and they said that they would be interested and he's available. And I said I was going to be in New York in the next few weeks. I said, oh, give us a call. We'll uh, take you out to lunch at the Friars Club. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I went out to lunch with Henny Youngman and his daughter and his manager and sat at his table at the Friars Club as everyone came by and kissed him on the forehead and wished him good health. And it was a pretty amazing experience. And then um, he performed. I have to say he was asleep in his wheelchair before the first show and I said to his manager, uh, Michael, is he gonna be awake? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no problem, he's a pro. So I introduced him and I got choked up for the first time ever in any of my introductions of anyone because I was introducing Henny Youngman. You know, he was 91 years old. He had been performing for twice my lifetime. I was 35 at the time. He'd been performing for 70 years and I couldn't believe he was coming to my stage. And uh, wheeled him up to the stage, lifted his lifted him up one step, put him on a chair, had his signature violin, and fired one-liners at the crowd. So that was around 1996? Uh, 1997. 97, okay. Yeah, that was the fifth, fifth year of the show. And that was at the, the, new, the, new, the new Asia restaurant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had the show at the New Asia restaurant. It started in 1993, and they moved to New Asia in 1997 because we had been up a flight of stairs and uh, 
people with wheelchairs were being carried up and then we were going to have our headliner at 91 years old and I found one restaurant that was on the ground floor and had their banquet room on the ground floor as opposed to up a flight of stairs. So we're at the New Asia from 1997 until 2019. And um, then we've been online last year and this year. New Asia restaurant is actually operating as a supermarket now because they had to reinvent themselves. Um, And then that building is getting torn down and being built as low-income housing. And then on the ground floor, the restaurant will be back, but that'll be in a few years. So I've got to find a new venue for next year when we do it live. Live from San Francisco. It's and I'm sure you, you'll, you'll, and I'm sure you'll put your tentacles out there and you will secure mm-hmm. a location. I guarantee yeah. you will. Yeah, it's TBD. Right now I know where this year is taking place. It's taking place from the dresser in the guest room of my mother's home in her retirement community in Boynton Beach, Florida. <laughs> are you are you nice are you still have to commute? Of course. Of course. Um, I, oh my God, parking is so so difficult in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I mean, I've never been there, but I I, I can imagine it's very uh, congested over yeah. there. Well, one thing Are that's you, great about Zoom shows is you're like, oh, I have to be there in a minute, and then you press join, and then when you're done, you just press leave, and there you are, sitting on your couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I believe me, I, I used to hate uh, going to open mics and being there for three hours just for your lousy five minutes on stage where you can mm-hmm. sit at home and other things, so I, I know what you mean. I, are you still on strike with the cooking with your mother, by the way? <laughs> well, you did your homework. Yeah, I cooked for like the first six months. I was really into making butternut squash soup. I think that was just my COVID comfort food. And uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, ordering food to go or eating out at restaurants outdoors. Yeah, I've I've been on strike for a while. You know, I, I never had kids, or at least that I know of, which I love as a woman saying that. Um. So it's interesting to then be like, you know, cooking for somebody or, you know, doing some caregiving when I never had the parenting skills to begin with. But you learn these things over time. You know, they just you pick them up. You know, like one day I said to my mom, just two more bites. And I thought, wow, I could have been a parent. I know how to say these things. Yeah, well, look, look, lots of, um, you know, lots of folks become parents or lots of gay couples adopt children. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a personal preference, you know, I mean, uh, having kids, I would say, don't do it. They're a pain in the ass. I have 30 years to live. <laughs> I <home>. love kids. <laughs> other people's, other people's kids. Oh, the, exactly. Because no strings attached. <laughs> yeah. No, I like being an aunt. I don't think I was ever selfless enough or grown up enough to be a parent. And, uh, you know, I haven't been in a relationship where it was longer for, than two years anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, I I love kids, but what a responsibility, man! It, it it's certainly like you is. Eat again, you just ate yesterday. And it, it doesn't come with a manual. Being a pair, if you don't know what the mm-hmm. hell you're doing, you know you screw up along the way. You know, so yeah. Um, you know, you you um, I I think you mentioned you you like older women. <laughs> yeah, I studied Yiddish um, at the Yivo Institute on in New York the summer of 2000 and people would ask me Yiddish why do you study Yiddish I was like well I like older women but um <laughs> do you have a for the podcast nothing wrong yeah. with that at all you know whatever you're um but I, I, we know what the funniest is when you're told you 
you told your parents that you joined Jews for Jesus. Yeah, just to come and, out to them that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, oh, thank God. And your father tried to set you up with his friend's gay son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all <laughs> basically happened. Everything is some um, development or some uh, rendition of the truth. Um, so, yeah, my parents were um, not thrilled that I was gay. So this is actually just a, the, 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 the rendition for comedy. So I said, OK, mom and dad, I joined Jews for Jesus. And they're like, what? We're going to write you out of the will. We're going to disown you. How can you do this to us? And I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just gay. Oh, thank God. <laughs> what really did happen is my father called me one day and said, you know, we have this friend with a gay son who we think you'd really like. And I was like, oh, dad, so close. You almost got it. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying. He was trying to come around, you know. Good. A for you know, effort. He was from another era. I, you know, your dad. When, when, when did you lose your dad? Um, I didn't lose him. He's in a nursing home. He's in his oh. early 90s. Everyone assumes that I lost him because I mostly... Just talk about my mom. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I thought I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's uh he's still with us, but you know, memory issues with Parkinson's and whatnot. But uh yeah, my mom's ninety and doing stand up. Man, that's no, God bless her. She looks very feisty. She looks she, her age. She is very feisty. One of the funniest things yeah. was writing her comedy bio. Harlan Godolig was raised in Brooklyn and had her children in Long Island and moved to Florida as is Jewish law. You know, she, she talks about young firemen. Oh my God. I had to put her on stage when she started telling me about going to Publix, the supermarket and being in the express line and seeing this hot young fireman who she swooned over behind her. I was like, really? You know, you just don't think of your parents as like, you know, sexual beings or thinking of your 90 year old parent as seeing a 30-year-old buffed fireman and going, oh, yeah, he's hot, but, you know, just because they're 90 doesn't mean that they don't uh, appreciate beauty. But, you know, we've done this whole thing in comedy. My mom's done the performance sometimes on her own, and then other times I've been sort of her, quote-unquote, straight man being on the screen together and asking her questions. And I'm like, so, Mom, who are you cougaring this month? <laughs> you know the ups man the gardeners she has this funny line about the ups man he's like no i couldn't go out with anyone who drives with the door open <laughs> i was like did you really just say that that's brilliant that, that's right. great Everybody you need a dog UPS man drives the door open right absolutely yeah <laughs> and uh, and the post the postman too usually uh -huh. you know and he rings twice <laughs> was it wasn't a jack nicholson movie i have no idea it just came from the annals of my brain the postman rings that, twice that's Possibly. something else in, in the middle of your set sometimes the memory shoot comes down and you'll start thinking stuff like you'll start uh -huh. improvising yeah i find sometimes one thing is coming out of my mouth and something else is going through my brain like if somebody walks in or someone says something and it's amazing that both can happen simultaneously You've got like converging thoughts, but only one's coming out. Yeah, but sometimes we we got to be careful because we'll slip things out and we we offend people. Uh -huh. Or th say things that you didn't want to say that are revealing of yourself. Like, yeah, oh my god, exactly. did you say that? You know, just this. You get into this mode when you're on stage, and sometimes the filters are gone. It's like, uh oh, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I was supposed to just think that. I've actually had to delete episodes of my podcast because I'll slip things out that I
honestly, so I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like your original last name or your kid's name or you know, age. Yeah, or my career, what I did. You know, I don't, I don't want the little things like that, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, so you used uh, to do stand-up or you still do? Uh, I'm getting into it now. Um, actually, I'm uh, starting a, a a virtual open mic this weekend. I'm going to see how that goes. Oh, great. And um, just juggling a lot of things uh, at the same time like you. You know, try to put your hand in many different hats, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what they teach you. You know, don't just see yourself as a stand-up comic. See yourself as a creator, as a writer, as a producer. Exactly. And you use the same skills. Like I used to do publicity just for my comedy shows. And then maybe about 20 years ago, I started doing freelance arts publicity because I thought, all right, I have the formula and I had to write a press release and I had to pitch something. I've got the press database. So why not do this for other folks? But you know what I yeah, find? No. People like to pigeonhole you. Like, you know, because I do comedy, I'm not supposed to have any serious interests. I remember once being at an immigration talk in San Francisco and someone saying, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, I'm only allowed to be a comedian. I'm not allowed to have any concerns or any other interests. Because people just want to put you in a box. And it's like, she's a comedian. Or how come you're not being funny today? It's like, you're a dentist. Why aren't you drilling? You know, I'm off duty. You know, a lot of people th- don't realize that a lot of uh, comics have a dark side inside of them. The most of them are, the, you know, serious people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely humor as a defense mechanism. And you know what I've also found? A lot of comedians are youngest children. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I haven't done any formal studies, but I've just asked people here and there or being in a green room and finding out that nine out of the ten people there are youngest kids. Nobody listened to us. Now we gotta well, grab the uh, mic and talk. Depend, I guess depends. It depends. Uh, not all of them are, but I, I. No. Yeah. No, you don't have to be a youngest in order to be a stand-up. You're not gonna go to a club. It's like, oh, you're an oldest. Sorry, you can't perform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, and you definitely have the contacts, like you were on, on KPIX CBS for to promote your um your Kung Pao show. Yeah, every year in San Francisco, when it's a slow news day on New Year's Eve, I'm sorry, Christmas Eve, um, one to five TV stations come to the Chinese restaurant and do a report on what are Jews doing on Christmas? So the press has been very nice to us, and uh, we've gotten covered by a lot of TV and written up, um, besides the New York Times, but in the LA Times and Chicago Tribune and National NPR and so, um, yeah, last year we were a pick in the New York Times and uh, the Forward, which is a Yiddish English uh, newspaper that's been around for a thousand years. They had us as a pick also. So it's fun. You, you, know, and then you can't you stop now. As a comedian. Excuse me? You can't stop. The ball is rolling now. You started something. and I know, uh, it has- but seriously, if you would have told me the first year that this would have had a 30-year longevity and would have had all these big name comedians and would have been the event that it became I wouldn't have believed it because it was just an idea I was like oh yeah let's do this and I couldn't get the idea out of my mind and I had to do it the first year and you know a lot of things in my life in my life were accidents um going to San Francisco I I went to California for what was going to be three weeks since I've been there for almost 40 years 
came to Florida for two weeks, turned a year and a half. Thought I was doing a one-off comedy show that has been around for almost 30 years. So there's a you, theme. You, you, you didn't know it, but it was your shirt. It was such, such a good word, Steve K. <laughs> <laughs> My fate. Yeah, I, I I don't speak Yiddish, but I my grandmother was always throwing terms at me. My father, so you kind of kind of sticks you with some of those words, you know. Oh, there's like 10, 20 Yiddish words that are just so perfect, and you can't even translate them into English. Like, okay, Michigas is nonsense, <laughs> but you know it's not really nonsense. You know, it's like nonsense plus your little bit of your shoulders up. You know, going ah, Michigas. You know, or the Mahatunam are coming. That's the in-laws. We don't have that word in English. The, uh, no, we don't. No. The other the in-laws from your, you know, like your your wife's family, the Mahatunam. Oh, the, mish- the Mishpacha. The Mishpacha. Yeah, Mishpacha's family. Mahatunista <laughs> is like your mother-in-law, and then the Mahatunam, I think, is the relationship between like your parents and your wife's parents would be the Mahatunam. Okay. It's just very cultural. And every year I put Yiddish proverbs in the fortune cookies. I go to a fortune cookie factory in Chinatown, this little alley, and they make custom-made fortune cookies. Um, they also make X-rated ones. So when I say, use the word rabbi in a fortune, I hope it's not going to accidentally say rabbit or they're not going to give me the X-rated <laughs> fortunes. You know, so I have like, with one tuchus, you can't dance at two weddings, which means you can't be in two places at once. Um, mm-hmm. A goat may have a beard, but doesn't make him a rabbi. Um, and then last year we had virtual fortune cookies on the screen. We'll be doing that again this year. And this year, people who are in San Francisco can order a meal to be delivered from this uh, Lazy Susan Chinese restaurant. And they also will deliver a bag of the fortune cookies. So I've ordered a bunch of um, you know 12 different Yiddish proverb fortune cookies just Largely to support the fortune cookie factory because everyone was in the same boat the last couple of years with trying to run a business and they were suffering. So I've been uh, still ordering from them as I've been doing since 1994, the second year of the show. Wow, that's perseverance. It really yeah, is. It's community. It's, it's mishpacha. You know, I walk into the Golden Gate fortune cookie factory and Kevin Chan, who's the owner, his mother and uncle started it in 1962. You know, we hug each other and we're like, we're family. Wow. Yeah, his mom, Nancy, has been sitting for 59 years at one of the three fortune cookie machines making fortune cookies with bandages on her finger from an occasional burn. It's, it's a pretty fascinating process and they do it all by hand. Yeah, and I'd be curious. Yeah. Yeah, if you go online to Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory, you can see videos. I never, I never thought about it. I never, I mean, actually, I thought about how they're made, but yeah. How do you get the fortune into the cookie? The batter goes into this big drum and then it pours through this machine that goes in a circle and heats the batter up and then pours it onto these little round plates. And then the (laughs) fortune cookie maker grabs this after it's gone through the machine and is warm and with one finger puts the fortune in, and then with the other hand, just, I'm doing this, can you see? <laughs> then folds the <laughs> fortune cookie over, over this little bar, and just makes them. I've, I've, I was ordering 2,000 of them a year. It's quite an operation. I, 
Some some of the fortunes have lottery numbers on them. They do, and I play them. I've never won, but I figure, well, if there's a number on the back of the fortune cookie, I might as well play the numbers. Because what if those were the numbers and I didn't win, right? That's how good gambling fever works. Well, you know, just don't waste a hundred dollars like a lot of these no, people I do every do day. just do a dollar here and there. Yeah, dollars here and there. I've 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 always liked playing lottery tickets because my mom has done it my entire life. We used to walk into a store together and she would do this tap for good luck, but apparently never really went anywhere. Well, I won $40, big deal, but probably lost a hundred. Hey, you know, it's, it's called, it's called your play money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. how about a this? Stuff- times I've gone to Las Vegas. I've been like, okay, I'm going to play the nickel slot machine. You know, go up. Yeah, well, as long as it's not a problem. That's all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've got other vices. I'm not a gambling's not a problem. Coffee, ice cream, and sushi, those are problems. Um, well, well, there's worse things you could do than that. There really True. is. There are. Yeah, all of my vices from high school are over. I can't even drink uh, or smoke anymore. Oh, uh, that that's good. That's good. That's uh, not a well. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> uh, tell me about the uh, the comedy clinic that you, you have at the Jewish home, home. Yeah, there's a Jewish nursing home in San Francisco called the Jewish Home. And uh, for about a dozen years, it used to run a comedy class there. And um, at first we had a juggler running it and then a clown. And then I had somebody come in and do improv classes. And I really liked that. So it was a twice a month class in the evening at this nursing home and it was part of the program where the medical director realized that about 70 percent of the residents were asking for sleeping pills and going to bed early and then they surveyed everybody and the reason was because after their five o'clock dinner they didn't have anything to do so the nursing home instituted evening programs music uh, concerts and then they put together um a twice a month comedy show a comedy clinic rather it was a comedy class and then the residents went from 70 percent asking for sleeping pills to 30 percent because they had something to do after dinner so it was a fabulous class that ran for about a dozen years and people in their 80s and 90s with walkers and wheelchairs would come into this activities room and this friend of mine mick taught the class and he tailored the improv exercises to people who were not mobile and they spoke in gibberish. They played different games. They laughed. They had a great time. And I think it was really healing. And we decided to call it the Comedy Clinic because it was something that was healing. Humor is healing. And, Absolutely. Um, For various yeah, things. That, that ended a few years ago. But it was, okay. it was beautiful. I would stop in occasionally and people just loved it. And it was, you know, I had a great time and I became close with a lot of the residents. I originally was close with this resident, Esther Weintraub. We were friends for the last two and a half years of her life. And I made a film about us that made it into a dozen film festivals around the world. And uh, she was a kick. She had done some comedy in her 60s when she was um, volunteering through some senior program and then I brought her back on stage at 87 at the 900-seat Herbst Theater for a show called Funny Girls with a Z. And it was sold out that night, and she brought the house down. And 
she loved it. And I got articles in the newspaper about her. And she was the big star at the nursing home because she performed and she had articles written about her. And uh, yeah, I see Esther and me trailer, April 24th, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was at um, a bunch of Jewish and women's and other film festivals in the U.S. and Canada and Europe and won a couple of awards for best short. And uh, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, my relationship with her was only two years and three months, but she was just one of the characters in my life who I will always uh, have dear to my heart. She died already um, 2000, I don't remember, 2005. But no, um, we, we became really well, close. Because in 2010 it was posted. So, yeah, the film posted after-, after she died. Oh, okay. Friends, uh, I think in 2002, she da- died in 2005, and she would ask about the film, and I knew I wasn't going to finish it or even start it. It sat on my desk for several years, and then I was talking to a friend from an improv class, and he was telling me about his 17-year-old son who makes films, and I asked him if he knew Final Cut Pro, and he started coming over to my house a few days a week after school and after his yearbook meeting, and he edited this film it was this truly intergenerational film he was in his teens i was in my 40s she was in her 80s and um and now he's turning 30 next month and he does video and motion graphics for me for the show so i i love the longevity of our friendship from him being 17 to now almost 30. yeah that is that is amazing you have a lot i saw i saw you reconnected what one of your friends from 1972 in facebook you hadn't seen uh, your friend in 40 years. Who was that? I, I forgot the name. It's in my notes somewhere. I'm sorry. Wow, yeah, you hadn't seen Facebook. each other in 40 years. Yeah. Uh, um, who did I reconnect with? Oh, I don't know. But, you know, I collect people. I have cousins in the San Francisco Bay Area who always remark that I collect people. Um, you know, I've got friends from when I was 10 or the summer I spent in Israel when I was 17 and um, reconnecting with people through Facebook. And I, I like looking up people. That was the lure to Facebook. I didn't want to join. And a friend of mine said, you can find people from your past. And I was like, okay, I'm there. Oh, definitely. You can find a lot of people, you know, people who might not even be thinking about you. Mm-hmm. And, and you can find all about them, you know. Oh, what else? Oh, I see you, 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 were, you were a picture with, with, with Charo and her sister too. Oh, yeah. I've produced Charo's concert three times at the Herbst Theater in San Francisco, 2005, 2008, and 2019. We've become friends. And um, so that was the 2019 show. And her sister, Carmencita, who makes all of Charo's costumes and dresses. And um, yeah, I've I've been to their house in Beverly Hills. Wow. um, We talk on the phone here and there. Very unexpected friendship. But she's great, you know. Charro. Charro. She's a a really smart businesswoman, really nice person, really family-oriented. You know, she's got her persona, and then she's got her uh, her real smart side to her. She's she's amazing. Yeah, that was fun. I look like a uh, Cuban producer with my Guayabera shirt. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you had the hat, you had a fedora on your head, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah she's not a blast. 
I think she yeah, was in she, Fantasy Island and Love Boat and all those shows back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's a really amazing flamenco guitarist. She does all this oh, shit really? on stage, and then she'll sit down and play solo flamenco guitar. She studied with Andre Segovia. Okay. When she, wow. Uh, you would never she know. She came over to the U.S. when she was a teenager and married Xavier Cugat as a marriage of convenience, and she had to lie about her age in order to perform at casinos in Las Vegas, and She's been at it ever since. She looks great. She does. Yeah. Um, what country is she from? Oh, so no, for you... my mom's 90th birthday last year, I had a party on Zoom for her, for friends and family. And then I sent out an invitation to people to uh, send a video. This is tribute.co website where you can uh, put together a compilation of videos. So friends and family. And then I asked Charles, my, she's talked to my mom on the phone. They haven't met. So in the midst of all the family and friends video, you hear, hello, Arlene, happy birthday. Your daughter told me, blah, blah, blah. And then a distant cousin of mine sends me an email the next day after I had sent everyone the videos for the, from the show in case they didn't get a chance to watch it. And she said, I thought during the party that was just something you downloaded from the internet, but now I'm listening and she refers to both of you by name. You know her. <laughs> wow. And and you know Terry Gross also? I don't. I don't know Terry Gross. Oh, okay. I've never met her. I just knew that she had interviewed Henny Youngman and he had said that he was listed in the phone book for people to find him, to hire him. No, oh, okay. I, I'd love to meet Terry Gross. Do you have an I always... If you ever listen to her voice, no, no, I'm not, I'm a nobody. <laughs> but uh, if you listen to her voice, she talks exactly like Judy Woodruff. Mm. Same exact voice. You would never know. Okay. Same, I guess it's that style, the public station, they have like a neutral way of reporting the news as opposed to, you know, Fox or CNN. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's so a style. There's a phone ringing in the background. There's like 900 phones in the house. I hope you don't hear that. I, I didn't okay. hear it. No problem. Okay, I'm, I'm, good. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. This is a no, a no, a no, no judgment zone. Okay, good. But anyway, we're running. I think what happens at like 60, 60 minutes, sometimes the uh, app just kind of shuts us off anyway. All right. And we're, we're on like 58, we're, 27. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we maybe we would have land our plane. All right. So <laughs> tell people about the show and the days and how to get. To Absolutely. Life? Go ahead. The floor is okay. yours. Da, 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 da. Okay. So it's the 29th annual Kung Pao Kosher Comedy, Jewish Comedy on Christmas in a this year virtual Chinese restaurant, December 24th, 25th, and 26th. You can get information at koshercomedy.com. And there's a link to tickets for cityboxoffice.com. And the performers are the fabulous Jessica Kirsten and Ophira Eisenberg, my 90-year-old mother, Arlene Gedoldig, and myself, Lisa Gedoldig. And the shows on the 24th and 25th are... 8 p.m. Eastern, and then this Sunday, the 26th, is 5 p.m. Eastern, so people in Europe and elsewhere would be able to watch, so we have an early show that day. And uh, tickets are $25 to $50. I always give partial proceeds to two different organizations. This year is uh, Shalom Bayit, working against Jewish domestic violence, and the San Francisco Marin Food Bank. Everything you can find out at koshercomedy.com. You hear that, folks? Get your Chinese takeout. 
and sit there and watch the show. You'll have one hell of a Chinese time. You will. It's a great event <laughs> and people enjoy it and they come back every year. And even if you're alone, just log on by yourself and you'll be in community. Oh man, it sound it sounds good, man. I, I I'm gonna post this on Facebook too. Thank and, you. Um, I I want to thank you so much for for donating your time to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. And you let me know which show you want to attend, and I will uh, send you the link to that. Thank you, thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you, Steve. Sure thing. Thank you, listening audience, wherever you are. Thank you, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> have a good day, Lisa. Thank All you. All right, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.